welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I was going to start a new series uh, today. I've put it on hold for at least one more week. Is that okay? Reason being is because I'd like to think I've heard God. And I would like to pick up on the theme that I started last week. And so I just want to preach on the power of partnership part two this morning. The power of partnership. And I want to read a portion of scripture found in John, John chapter 11. And reading from verse 32. Again, if you have your Bibles, open them. If you have your iPads, get them out. If you have your iPods, get them out. If you have your iPhones, get them out. Whatever it is, read the Word of God along with me. If you don't have any of those, read on the screen. Luke chapter 11, verse 32 says, When Mary, uh, John, thank you, baby. John chapter 11, verse 32. Ah. Okay, remember that. Anyway, moving on. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And the shortest verse in Scripture is right there. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of blind men and have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for uh, four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with the strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Many of you would know this story, I'm sure. Maybe some of you don't. I think it's an amazing story. And I believe it's an amazing story for many, many reasons. And one of the things that amazes me most about this story is probably something that doesn't stand out for you, but it does for me, and it's this. When Jesus had to ask the disciples, where have you laid the body? 
I mean, I don't know if you've just read over that in the past, but for me, that stands out as something very amazing. I say that because at this point in Jesus' life, he'd already done great miracles. He'd actually opened the eyes of a blind man. He'd fed the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. He'd done some incredible things. Now, don't you think if God can open the eyes, uh, Jesus can open the eyes of blind people and he can feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, on a little boy's lunch, don't you think he could tap into God's nav man and just know exactly where the dead body was? Don't you think so? And yet, he has to ask, where have you laid him? Where have you laid the body of Lazarus? And I believe that this highlights the incredible partnership between divinity and humanity. I believe it highlights the partnership between Jesus and the people. In other words, they had to tell Jesus where the body was laid. They had to physically show him. Well, we kind of, we, we, we buried him in a cave, it's up on the hill, we put a big stone, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's this one right here. Jesus partnering with people, divinity partnering with humanity. And I believe it's what God intends for us. See, we assume that God knows everything and so therefore we don't bother telling him anything. And I believe this is one of the demotivating factors behind the reason we don't pray. Because God is all-knowing, God is omniscient, He knows everything, and so what's the point of even asking for anything when He knows I already want it, so we don't say anything? But that's the point. God wants you to partner with Him. He knows what you need, but He wants to know if you know what you need. He wants you to talk with Him. He wants you to open up. He wants you to ask. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to do life with Him. He doesn't want you to be an island just assuming that God knows everything and you are just kind of this, this guy who's just got no bearing on your life and, and just whatever will be, will be. No, God wants us to partner with himself. God wants to involve us in the miracles. He asks the question, where have you laid him? They show him. When he's at the grave, When he's at the tomb, when he's arrived to the place of his destination, he says, now, take away the stone. Jesus had to get directions and Jesus had to ask for help when it came to removing the stone. Why? I believe because Jesus was involving them. Jesus wanted to involve them in the miracle and I believe Jesus wants to involve us too. Why? Because, number one, God won't do for us what he expects us to do for ourselves. You've got to understand this. God will not do for us what he expects us to do for ourselves. In other words, this story, along with every miraculous story of Jesus, there's a whole heap of ordinary that gets overlooked. It doesn't say this, but you, you could read into it and say, you know, while all this was going on, the disciples continue to breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. There's so many ordinary things taking place here that it's not even mentioned. 
And I think we overlook the ordinary and the mundane that's attached to life and attached to miracles. There's a whole stack of ordinary things going on in this story. And I believe you and I have been asked to co-labor and to partner with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, reading from the message, it says, I planted the seed, this is Paul speaking, Apollos watered the plants, but God made it grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters it at the center of its process, but God who makes things grow. Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. What makes them worth doing is the God we are serving. And so God wants us to work with him. He wants us to co-labor with him. He wants us to do what we can do. Parents, you want your kids to do what they can do for themselves. When they were babies, we had to dress them. We had to take them to the toilet. As they grew up, we wanted them to dress themselves. We want them to take themselves to the toilet. We don't want to keep doing that for the rest of our lives, do we? Of course not. We want them to do what they can do for themselves, and we will help them where they can't. In other words, God is not going to take your McDonald's meal and turn that into a highly nutritious meal by the time it hits your stomach. God's not going to do that for you. You can pray and cast out all the calories in the name of Jesus. You can bind the demonic activity that takes place within the carbs in that meal and the fat content, but it's not going to change anything when it hits your stomach. It's going to make you fat. It's going to make you overweight. It's going to make you unhealthy. In other words, if, God, if you want to be healthy, God expects you to do your part. He's not going to turn a burger into fruit when it hits your stomach. We laugh, don't we? And yet that is how many people live their lives. It's how many people ask me to pray for them. Can you pray? No, I can't. You know what? I can't pray for you in the area that God wants you to respond. God wants to involve you in the miracle. God wants to involve you in the process. All these testimonies that we see week after week, there is a definite God element to all of it. But for every one of those testimonies, there's a people element. There's a you and a me involved in the process. Every one of us, for the most part, was invited to this church by somebody. And even if you weren't invited by somebody, you met somebody. And you listened to somebody. And you responded to somebody. There was people involved. And that's the way God wants it to be. He wants to involve us in the miracle. He wants to involve us in the process. He doesn't want to just be doing it all himself. He wants us to get involved because that's where the fun is. That's where the joy is. That's where the life is. And he wants us to get involved. And I want to encourage any of you that are not involved because you've been hurt and let down to get involved again. To get involved again. God will not do for us what he expects us to do for ourselves. He will not turn your fat into muscle. He will not get you as a robot to say to the person trying to sell you something that you don't need, I can't afford it. He won't get you to do that. You have to say, I can't afford it. You have to walk away. God will not do for you what he expects us to do for ourselves. Got it? 
I can't pray for you. You have to pray for yourself. Does that make sense? So firstly, what can we learn from this story? God won't do for us what he expects us to do for ourselves. Secondly, God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. This is a great thing with God. This is a great partnership. God will do for you what we can't do for ourselves. You see, you and I can't raise the dead. But here's the thing. God is not asking us to. Only God can raise the dead. Jesus looks at the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And God is so powerful that had Jesus not restricted or limited the power of God to one man, every person would have just got out of the grave. Such is the power of God. If God had just looked at the tomb and said, come out. I'm telling you, every person who ever died would have just come out. Such is the power of God. So Jesus limits the power to this one man. So he says, Lazarus, come out. And does what only God can do. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can open the eyes of the blind. Only God can say, let there be, and there was. Who here in this room ever created a giraffe? No, you didn't. Only God, he said, let there be a creature with a long neck and long legs, yellow and brown patches, bam, and there was. And he let man name him, partnering. God just said, here he is. What are you going to call it? And, and, and Adam's going, oh, I get to call, oh, I'll call that a, a giraffe. Partnering. But he didn't say to Adam, make a giraffe. That was beyond Adam. There's much that's being asked of us that's beyond us. God will not do for us what he expects us to do for ourselves, granted. But God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. The question is, do you believe it? See, in John chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus asked Mary, do you believe Do you believe? Do you believe, Martha? See, miracles are a matter of believing, not deserving. What we tend to do when we want a miracle, we go to church more. We read our Bible more. We fast more. We do all those spiritual things more, thinking, oh, now God's got to move because you know what? I've done all these things. That's got nothing to do with your miracle. It's got nothing to do with your miracle. That's why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because people that weren't doing anything to deserve their miracles were getting them. But the Pharisees who were doing all the right things, they were tithing and they were doing this and they were doing that. They didn't get the miracles because your miracles have nothing to do with deserving. It's a gift. A miracle is a gift. You can't do anything to deserve or earn a miracle. It's a gift. And the way that gift comes is through believing. Do you believe? Jesus looks at Martha and says this, do you believe me? Do you believe when I say, I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that, Martha? Now, Martha had a dilemma. She had to weigh up the words of Jesus. 
with everything else she'd seen and heard. And the question when it comes to faith is who and what do you believe? Because every one of us believes something. There's no such thing as unbelieving. There's only right believing or wrong believing. And Jesus said, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the doctors? Are you going to believe your family? Are you going to believe your friends? Are you going to believe the circumstance? Are you going to believe the situation? Or are you going to believe me? I am the resurrection and the life. Question is, can the word of Jesus be trusted? Is, are the words of Jesus worthy of believing? In other words, did Jesus speak the truth or was he a liar? That's the question we all have to answer today. Can the words of Jesus be trusted in order to be believed? See, it's not about faith. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the manifestation of what we believe. People get so caught up about faith. Faith's not the issue. Faith is the evidence of what we believe. This is why some people get into the hyper-faith movement and they start shundering and shundering and they start claiming and naming and proclaiming and doing all these faith things. But you can do all of that. But if you don't believe it. And so all you've got is words and that's not faith. Faith is the evidence of what you believe. The faith you put in someone or something is dependent upon what you believe in someone or something. When I look at the life of Jesus and the incredible detail in which his life came into being, the incredible prophecies that happened thousands of years prior, the incredible accuracy, the incredible detail surrounding the place of his birth, the time of his birth, the circumstances surrounding his birth. I have to say, you know what? It's very easy to believe the word of God. A man by the name of Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come some seven years, 700 years before he came and prophesied with incredible accuracy as did other prophets. Talking to the exact detail of where and how and when. When Jesus was on planet earth, he said some incredible things concerning the future that came to pass. He said to Peter that you're going to deny me three times. And you might think, well, that's not too hard. You know, Peter was compulsive. That was bound to happen. But he, he put this to it. He said, but you know what? When you do that on the third time, a rooster's going to crow. Jesus was not in the vicinity of a rooster that he could just squeeze it and make it. It wasn't there. It just happened just as he said. Jesus prophesied many things before they happened and they came to pass in incredible detail. Do you believe? Do you believe the words of Jesus? Because you will believe someone or something. And if you believe, you'll be amazed and you'll find this to be true that God will do for you. Whether it's in the form of raising a dead person or whether it's in the form of incredible patience, longevity and faithfulness, like we've seen exerted in Fiona over the years, a person who's had every opportunity to get upset, had every opportunity to give up and to give in. Well, do you want me to lead this thing or not, Tony? Do you, do you want me to lead the worship people or not? One minute you do, one minute you don't. 
And yet she's just played on team and trusted my judgment of when I've asked her to do something or when I've asked her to step aside. Where does that incredible insight and patience come from? It's a God thing. Why is it that so many people just, you know, are, are jumping from church to church or marriage to marriage or house to house or state to state or country to country and they just can't settle? Because they're putting all their problems upon the circumstances or somebody else, not understanding God can give you the patience that you don't have in yourself. God can give you the love that you have. Jesus came and taught a higher law. He said, you've heard it said, love those that love you. I wanna tell you to even love your enemies. How do you do that? You can't, but God can. Do you believe? And so as we believe that God is an all-loving God, which means he can give me the incredible power to love those who crucify me and mock me, you'll find that actually that can be your reality. So God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And thirdly, God won't do for us what he expects others to do for us. In other words, in this story, God has done his part. God had raised the dead man. Lazarus had done his part. He'd done what was asked of himself. Over here, Lazarus. And stop. Lazarus had done his part. Have you thought about that in the story? God raised him up. And somehow, Lazarus made his way to the opening of the cave. He was was blinded because he was bound. His eyes were covered. He has no recollection of how he was brought in. He has no recollection of where the entrance is. But somehow, he makes his way to the front of the cave. God has done his part in raising him to life. Lazarus has done his part. He's done what he can do by making it to the entrance. But then there's this third part to the story that God wants us to get involved. Lazarus comes hopping out And Jesus says, now you take off the grave clothes. In other words, Jesus will raise people up, but he wants us collectively to release them. See, this is an awesome miracle. Lazarus comes out of tomb. This is fantastic. This is amazing. This is the day the Lord has made. God is so good. But you know what? Walking around like that, it's not much of a life. Some cynical people might say, well, what's his problem? He's alive, he should be happy. But I don't know about you, I, don't want to, I, if I, I wouldn't want to walk around like that. I mean, we're, we're playing football. We're going to the movies. It's not 
the light. I do not believe for a moment that God has raised Lazarus for him to live like that. God does the bit he can only do. Lazarus has done his part. The third part of the partnership is us helping others. It's us getting involved in the miracle. You remove the stone. You remove the grave clothes. Steve Goldie, come up here, please. I believe this is what Jesus is saying. I've done what I can do. And I believe God is saying, I've done my part. Now you help your fellow brother. You help your fellow sister. You help your fellow church member. Thanks, Steve. Lazarus looks a lot like Moggy, don't you think? That's wonderful. With the help of Steve, an older man, Moggy's beheld have been set free, at least in part. But here's the thing. I don't know that there's only one person in your life that can help you. I mean, many of you would know that I'm grateful to my dad and all the help he's given me, but he's not the only one, and nor should he be. He needs more help because, again, it's great. He can now see, praise God. But I still do not believe that's the life that God intended for Lazarus, to walk around like that for the rest of his life. God raised him for a purpose. And part of coming into that purpose is by getting alongside people because people will release you into the purposes and plans of God. We as a church exist to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. And so Ducky, why don't you come out here and play your part in helping (laughs) this man come into his... Potential. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's nice. That's great. See, here's the thing. This was a very real story. It was an account of a man by the name of Lazarus. And Jesus performed a miracle. And the disciples unwrapped this man. But I believe the story is beyond just that account and that moment. You see, we live in a society where people are bound by all sorts of things. And I believe for every individual, they've got to play their part. They've got to do for themselves what only they can do. And we've got to trust God will do what only He can do. But then there is this third part whereby we need to get alongside and help. And I do not believe it's just for one man, nor one generation, nor one gender to help you. I mean, I appreciate the input that I get. I appreciate the feedback that I get of where I've helped you. That's great. But I know this. I can't help every one of you in every area of your lives. Even if I can help you in every area, here's one area I can't I can't be everybody's best friend. I can't be that. And when we put that burden and pressure and expectation on the senior leadership team of a church, it gets ugly real quick. For you to come into this church and and, and, and feel like it feels unfriendly because the majority didn't talk to you. The majority won't, but a good portion will. And so we've seen in this illustration an older man in Steve coming playing his part in Moggy's life. We see a, a man 
a young man play his part. Mitchie, why don't you come up here? Because I believe if you will allow every person become your teacher, no matter how young they are, no matter how old they are, if you are open and if you are teachable, you can learn from everyone and everything. And so if we, it may take a little bit longer with the younger generation, but nonetheless, there we go. But they do make up for it later on in life. Um, you're going to get yourself in trouble. There we go. Well done, Mitch. Little show off. Where's he get that from? I have no idea. And there's Moggy, now free. Thanks, mate. We can look at today's message. I think that was simple, and it is. The question is not whether it's simple, deep. The question is, what are we doing with it? Are we living in it? Are we playing our part, really? Are you playing your part? Husbands, no one else can husband your wife but you. Play your part. Only God can do what only God can do. Only God can save and regenerate a person. Only God can. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to earn your miracle. That's a God thing. But there are some things God reserves in this partnership whereby he expects us to get alongside others and help. And I believe that's what he's asking of us at this church at this moment in time. People are bound by all sorts of things. And the smallest thing can release people today. You know, someone could come bound and your smile could lose something in their life. A smile, an acknowledgement, a hello. An acknowledgement of Derek getting up here for the first time saying, mate, you did a great job. Can validate, encourage, help, heal, unloose, release. We've got to stop waiting for the big moments. Oh, when I'm a millionaire, I just want to be able to give away all my money. No, no, just give what you can now. This notion that if you had millions of dollars, you'd be generous. No, you won't. Generosity never starts with money. Generosity starts in the heart. It starts with a decision. It starts with an attitude. And you can give right now. I said before, I can't read the Bible for you. But I can read the Bible to you. We can go up to somebody who can't read, is struggling to read, or maybe have lost their eyesight or are very sick and can't read. You can read to them. We can pray with people. I can't do for you what you can do for yourself, but we can pray together. We can help. 
And I believe part of the miracle is us helping others. It's part of what God wants to do. In these moments. I had a moment the other day and I went into a shop and I love I like clothes. Can't afford all the clothes I'd like to have, but I do like clothes. I like fashion. It's just my thing. And I was looking at this jacket, I thought, gee, I'd love that jacket. I'd love to buy that jacket. But I couldn't really justify it because one of the cost and two, I've got enough of that sort of thing. But it was a great jacket. I'd love to buy it. And then out of nowhere, someone who I know from this church walks in. And I had this moment. God just said, you said you wanted to buy it. But who says it has to be for you? Because I was like, I'd love to buy that jacket. I'm assuming for me, of course. And God sets up this moment. It's a setup. I'd love to buy that jacket. This guy walks in. And he's looking for a jacket. At least I, I think so. He said, I've seen a great jacket. Put that on. He said, let me buy it for you. But what I didn't know is the storekeeper was listening. And he goes, what? And he goes, are you guys brothers? Looked at him, looked at him. No. I said, but this guy is part of our church. And he's one of the most incredible guys I know. And he's helped us so much. This, this whole moment just got really sweet real quick. What a precious moment. One, I trust I was able to help and bless someone. Two, I was able to be incredible witness and break down some of the perceptions in this storekeeper. You know, what? What? I came out of there just feeling like, I think this is what God's trying to say to us. And it's not hard. And we, and we didn't get the Bible out. And we didn't pray. There's just so much of the ordinary that God wants to get involved in our lives. And I believe this is why some of the people put so much expectation and pressure on what should happen in church. Because we're trying to make a big moment every week. Church has to be this big. You know what? There's lots of mundane. Repetitive stories, repetitive messages, teaching that we haven't, we've kind of, that's church life. I don't believe theology is the answer so much as applied theology is the answer to our circumstance. Let me close with this thought that with God it's never too late. With God it's never too late. Four days. Jesus! If only you come early it's just too late now. Four days dead. Jesus it's too late. I mean like you know one day yes. But four days, four days. You might say, if only I'd heard this message when I was younger. If only I'd had a church like this when I was younger. Assuming now it's too late for you. If only this hadn't happened, if only that hadn't have happened. It's now too late. 
My marriage is dead. My ministry is dead. My youth is dead. It's never too late. Not with God. Within the realm of reason, I figure that I will not play for Manchester United. I believe that dream is dead and buried. I get it. But I'm talking about dreams and purpose. I'm talking about tapping into the purpose that God has placed you here. And I believe he can redeem the time. And I believe he can make up for lost years. Do you believe that? And I believe it's going to come down to these three things. You playing your part. Doing what only you can do. And then allowing God into your world to let only God do what only God can do. How do you forgive yourself when you've done something really bad and really awful? How do you do that? You can't, but God can. Let God do his part. And then let's partner with others and be part of the answer for others and let others be part of the answer for us. I believe this is the partnership that God intends for every individual. Us playing our part, God doing his part, than us doing their part for others. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.